You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Thank you, Peter. It's, um, it's always good to be able to go someplace where you have a history. And uh, I was here, I think, in January and got to share just a little bit that I was the first pastor back in 1990. Most of you probably weren't even born. And, um, but my children, two of my children were born here, and now they're all grown up. Um, my oldest is 26 and in grad school, and my middle one just graduated from college. My youngest one's a sophomore in college. And so it's like, wow, we all grow up. And time goes by really, really fast. I know when you're younger, it seems like time goes by slowly. But as you pick up steam in life, you find out that time seems to go by quicker than you would ever have imagined before. And as you get older, you begin to wonder, did I spend the time that I've already had wisely so that I will spend my day wisely so that I will spend my future the best way possible? Pastor Peter, when he asked me to come and speak today, I asked him, you know, what could I preach upon? And he said, would you bring a message of renewal? Would you bring a message of revival? And maybe you think about that, you know, as revival, as something that sort of happens if your spirit is broken and you're sort of dying and you feel like you need to be revived, you need to be revived again. But that's not what revival is. Revival is something that is supposed to happen all the time. It is something that we're called to live in every day. It is a renewal that God gives to us. Just like when we wake up every morning and we breathe in new air and fresh air, we eat new food, we drink new water or new wine, that God wants us to experience him every day. And so that's the message that I want to bring here for us today. I want us to experience God's word today. And to experience God's word means to experience God. It's just like the person in front of you or the person on your left, or the person on your right, you know, you could touch them. You could feel their arm. You could hold hands, or you could shake hands, or you could give a hug. You've experienced them. When you love someone, you want to experience them. You want to have them be a part of your life. You don't want to just feel them on the outside in the sense of like a hug, but you want to feel the love that you have for each other on the inside. And that's what the church is supposed to be about. And that's what our relationship with God is is supposed to be about. And that's what we want to learn about today. Would you stand with me? Would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. And I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, but after you find that in whatever version you want, um, just please stand with me in honor of God and of his word, and I'm going to read the scriptures, and then we'll pray. Now, this is a prayer This is a prayer that the Apostle Paul had for a church that was in a city called Ephesus. But this is a prayer that I believe that God has for us here today as well. Verse 16 says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with 
all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Heavenly Father, we pray that this prayer would be true today. We pray that we would experience the love of Jesus, your Son. We pray for every person here that we would experience your love, even in this moment, even in this time that we are gathered here to worship together. May we experience you deep in our hearts. May your word be more than just printed words on a page. May Jesus be more than just a name or a figure that we've heard about. May he be real to us inside. May he be real to us in your spirit. May your love, God the Father, be real to us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Oh. Carol and I um, had the privilege. My wife is Carol. We've been married 31 years. And we had the privilege of going to Israel back in May. And um, I think we have a, do we have the PowerPoint on? Hopefully a map will come up here. But I'll talk and then eventually it'll come up, I think. Okay. So when I, I've never been to Israel before. Um, and my wife had been once before. Uh, but back in May, we decided that it would be good for me to go. So we went together. And up until that time, I don't know, I want you to think about Israel right now. Okay, just, just think about the country of Israel. Or think about the Holy Land. Or think about Jerusalem. What is that like to you? What is that like to you? Well, until May of this year, this is what Jerusalem, this is what Israel was like to me. It was just a map. Even though I've been a Christian since I was 16, even though I've read the Bible since then, even though I've studied the Bible and I've heard about many of the lands that are in Israel, even though I heard all about what Jesus did on the Sea of Galilee, even as you're going through the book of Acts and you're experiencing names of places and people, I had done that too. But up until May, all it was was a map. And we flew into Israel, we flew across the sea, went to a city called Tel Aviv, and then we stayed on the shore up here in a little city called Netanya for our first night. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful city. But I wasn't yet in the holy, holy land. It wasn't until the next day that we went over to the Sea of Galilee. So here's the Sea of Galilee on the big map. And here's the Sea of Galilee. And we, we drove or we were taken by a bus to a little city down here called Magan. And, and that's where we stayed for, um, I think, two nights as we got to travel around the Sea of Galilee. And up until that very moment, that's all it was to me. It had still just been a map until we got to the Sea of Galilee. And we got to the Sea of Galilee, and this is the first thing we saw. We parked, um, they parked our bus in the hotel. We got our rooms. We went to our room. We opened up the window, and this is what we saw. It looks like Hawaii, right? It's just beautiful. And it was at that moment that I began to experience the Bible in a new way. I was actually in the land where Jesus lived. And I had shared with people that I had wanted them to be praying for me. And my prayer was that I knew I was going to the place where Jesus walked. And so my prayer was that I wouldn't just walk where Jesus walked. My prayer was that I would, live, that I would learn to walk as Jesus walked. In other words, I wanted to experience how Jesus would want me to walk as if I was there in the land. Well, what I learned was that I could do that, and you could do that. You don't even have to go to Israel. I don't have to go back to Israel to do that. 
Because what I learned is to be able to walk as Jesus walked. In other words, to be like Jesus is to have Jesus walk with me. It's for Jesus to walk with me in my life so that I can personally experience him every day. Now, the scriptures that we're going to look at promise us. They absolutely promise you and me that you can experience Jesus right now. You can experience him like you could experience anybody else as a person. Now, you will not see him, okay? but he'll be just as real to you because he lives on the inside of us, as we will see. But what's so important, what's so important, is I have a question to ask you right now. The first question, you don't have to raise your hand or anything like that, but be honest with yourself. First question is, do you feel like you need Jesus? Do you feel like you need Jesus? That's the first question. Now, my guess is that the reason why you're here is because you feel like you need Jesus. That's my guess. I mean, my guess is that probably everybody said, yeah, I, I need Jesus. So then let me ask you the second question, because this is the one that, that will help us to get past the need and get to the experience. And that is, do I want Jesus? Now, that, that's really an important, that's not that easy of a question. You know, that's like before I got married, I had to ask myself, did I want Jesus? Carol to be my lifetime partner? That was a big question. It was even a bigger question for her, much harder. Do you, you know, does she want to live with this guy, you know, with all the problems that he has, right? Do I want? But when you make up your mind that you want to and you feel like you need to, then you can enjoy it. Then it becomes more real. And when children are little, you know, you probably remember hearing it. You probably still say it as a parent. The child goes to the store and they see some candy. They want it. They go to the, the, to the toy store and they see a toy and they want it. And the parent says, now, do you want it or do you need it? Right? We this, most parents say, do you want it or do you need it? And what we're trying to teach the child is you don't get everything you want. And there are certain things in life that are more important. Those are the things you need. Now, there's a lot of things in life that we know we need, but we don't even want them. Like, we need, well, some of us, we, we need to exercise. Oh, you don't want to exercise, right? Okay, we need, we, we need to go to the doctor. Oh, that might hurt. We don't want to go to the doctor. Okay, we need to study. We don't want to study. Now, here's one. We need to go to church. Oh, some of us don't want to go to church. Now, if we're there, and I've been there before myself, then today's message has an answer. Because God wants us to not only know what we need in life, that we truly do need, but to want it. He wants to put them together. And the first thing that we see in the scripture, in verse 16, Paul prays and he says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you. He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. So the first thing that Paul says is, I want you to come in touch with what you need. And what you need is God's resources. You need his power. You need his strength. And maybe there's something in your life right now where you're really hurting. 
where you have a question that you don't have answered yet. You have a decision that you have to make. You have a project that you don't know the answer to. You have a relationship that's really hurting. And you say, God, I need you. I need you. Well, the reason that you say that is because you also feel the desire of want. Because it hurts. God, I don't want to hurt anymore. I want the answer. But in all places of our lives, for every day, we can wake up. And just like when we wake up, like, I, I love coffee. Okay? I love coffee. When I wake up, you know, I have to confess, I don't think about God the first thing I, when I wake up. I'm not that godly. You know, I think about, oh, boy, I, I get to go make coffee. I get to drink coffee. And I, I wake up, and I, I, I think, oh, okay, I want to enjoy my coffee. I don't need it, but I want it. But there are other things in my life that I need so much more. There are things in my life that I should want so much more. And that will give me true strength and true power. And this is God. Now, I want to put the, the experience in my own life. I don't just want it to be in the Bible. And so the first thing, if you're taking notes on your outline, is this is what God would want us to want and to need. I want and I need to experience inner strength and power. I want and I need to experience inner strength and power. Now, we already read the scripture there, verse 18. But what I want for you today is I want you to be able to put yourself in the scripture. See, when we can put ourselves in the scripture, the scriptures become more alive. I mean, what would it be like if suddenly you opened up the pages of your Bible and you saw your name blazoned in the scripture? What would that be like? You know, you never saw it before, but you got a new Bible, you open up, and my goodness, by a miracle, your name was in the scriptures. Wouldn't that be, like, pretty exciting? And wouldn't that be pretty convicting? Well, that's the way it ought to be. So if you're taking notes, um, you'll notice that there is a a place where you could write your name. There's a blank. And I'm going to just say it myself right now, but this is what I try to do. I take the scriptures and I try to paraphrase it so that I'm living in it. So for me, it would say this. It would say, Lord, I, Curtis, pray that from your glorious unlimited resources, you will empower me with strength through your spirit. See, that's what I want. It's not just what Paul wants. It's not just a prayer that's on printed pages in the Bible. It's something that's alive that I want for myself. So right now, I want you to practice that, right? So we're going to say it out loud together. Just say, but you say your name. Okay, and I'll say my name. So you see it there, so let's say it together. Lord, I, Curtis, pray that from your glorious unlimited resources, you will empower me with strength through your spirit. Now, now right now, just saying that, you may not feel much, but if you keep saying that, and you keep praying prayers like that, I believe you will begin to experience God personally working more and more in your life. Now, the Holy Spirit and Jesus are in every believer already. So this prayer is not to get Jesus into your life. This prayer is to experience Jesus who is in your life. This prayer is not to get the Holy Spirit to work in our life. This prayer is to realize the power of the Holy Spirit who is already in our lives. In John chapter 17, verse 26, John writes, I, speaking Jesus' words, I have made known to them, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. 
This is Jesus' prayer. He is praying that the love that God has for him would also be the love that you and I experience because it's true. Jesus says, I myself am in them. I mean, imagine this. Jesus truly, 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 and every believer here, he is in us, and it is God's love that is in us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, and you have that scripture there on your, on your outline. It says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? God's spirit is in you. And God came into our lives. God came into each one of us when we believed in Jesus as our Savior. We asked him to forgive us our sins. We received him. We submitted. We committed our lives to him. Jesus came to live within us. The Holy Spirit came to live within us. But this prayer that we're reading in Ephesians 3.16 is a prayer to experience that truth so that we continue to grow more in that knowledge of God. It's just like when I married Carol, I loved her so much when I married her 31 years ago. But today I love her more than ever before. The moment my children were born, when I held my firstborn son and I looked at him, I loved him, unbelievable, more love for him than I'd ever experienced in my life for a baby ever in this world. But I love him more 26 years later. The same thing is true for all of my children. I love them immensely the moment they were born and the moment I held them but I love them so much more now because we experience love together and that's what God wants for you and for me to experience this love as we grow as his children. That's the first thing is that not only do I know I need God's love, but I want to experience it. The second thing is that I want and I need to trust. I want and I need to trust. You think about it. You know, when you give your life to somebody in marriage, it's, it's a statement that you're saying, I want you to trust me that I will love you the rest of my life. I want you to say I do because I want you to believe that I will love you even as you commit yourself to me. When a baby is born, the baby can't say anything, right? But the baby has an inborn need to trust you, to trust its parent to believe that as helpless as it is, it will be loved and cared for. And this is what God would hunt for you and for me, to know that we need to trust him, but to also want to trust him, so that when we see Jesus, our love for him is deep, so that I want to trust Jesus because, because I am rooted, I am connected to him, and I am grounded in his love. Everything about trust depends upon who Jesus is. If Jesus is trustworthy, then being connected to him is absolutely no problem. If Jesus is a firm foundation, then being attached to him, my life will not get washed away. It'll be a worthy life. He will be with me always. In verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's praying and he continues and he says, then, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. We all need strength. We all need to continue to grow in love. We all go through things right now. I mean, I'm always going through something where I need to trust God 
is in control because I can't be in control. God wants us to trust him and he wants us to put our trust in Christ and in his word. So again, if we were to make this prayer personal, we were to paraphrase it and our name was in the Bible, then you would put your name in the blank space there just as I would put mine. So again, just as we did with the first part, let's do it here with the second part. Let's say it out loud, okay? and then just put your, line, put your name where the line is. Let's say it together. Then Christ will make his home in my Curtis's heart as I trust in him. Curtis's roots will grow down into God's love and keep Curtis strong. I want you to think about that. Just put your name there. Let me read it for you again. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. Your hearts. As you trust in him. Now you, your roots, will grow down into God's love and keep you, you, strong. God lives in us. The Bible says there that he will make his home. And in some of our Bibles, it's translated dwell. In, in the New Living Translation, it's translated what dwell means. It means to make his home. Now, in the Bible, in the Greek, in the New Testament, there's two words for living in a home. And the first word means to inhabit a place like a stranger or a visitor. That's like when you go to a hotel. You dwell in the hotel for a short time. You're just a visitor. That's one word. But the second word is the word that Paul uses here. And it means a permanent home, a residence. It means a place that you will stay always. And that's what God's word is telling us, that Jesus stays in our life always. He's not a visitor. Our heart is not a hotel. Our heart is a home. And from that place, from that relationship that you and I have, we are like those trees that you saw there when when I went to um, the Sea of Galilee, we saw those big palm trees. They all have deep roots. There's strong storms that come by the Sea of Galilee, as we read in the Bible about Jesus being in the storm when he was on the Sea of Galilee. But because the roots go down deep into the soil, that tree remains strong. That tree doesn't fall over in the storm. And the word roots, word roots is a botanical word. It represents something that's alive, but something that needs to go down deep into the soil to keep getting life. It's a desert out there. It's hot and it's dry. But those roots go down deep into the soil where it can find moisture to continue to live. And that's what God wants for us, that we can trust that as our roots are down in Jesus, we will not topple over in the storm. But Paul uses another term here that's really helpful for us to understand what it means to be founded in Christ. Because he says that not only will our roots go down, but that our roots will be grounded. The word grounded is actually an architectural word. And it, what it means is something like a foundation, like this building here has, a has to have a strong foundation. And the bigger the building, the bigger and the stronger the foundation needs to be. When Carol and I were in Israel, we got to see huge structures, old structures, over 2,000 years old. Now, right there is a picture where we were there, and it's called the Western Wall. Now, the temple in Jesus' day was a rectangular shape. 
So there were the four walls, the east, west, north, and south. But maybe you see it sometimes when you see pictures in Israel, when something happens in Israel, and then all kinds of Jewish men and women go to the wall and pray. And sometimes it's called the Wailing Wall, but it's a place, the Western Wall is a place of prayer. Well, when we were there, we found out that there's sort of two sides. So this side right here is the men's side, and there's another little wall there that goes out, and then this is the women's side. But this is where the Jewish people go to pray, the men and the women. And so I got to go there, and so I wanted to pray. And so I went up to the wall. I went over somewhere around there, and I just went there, and I bowed down like the Jewish men were, and I I just prayed. I knelt down, and I said a prayer. I wanted to draw near to God. I wanted to experience Jesus. I wanted to experience my faith there. But um, after I had been there for a while, I wondered something, and I, I wondered, well, I wonder why, why is this wall so important? You know, why is the western wall the place that they pray? Why not the eastern wall or the south or the north? So we asked, and, and our tour guide told us. The reason is because of this. Now, this is a model of what the whole temple complex would have looked like. So it's a rectangular shape there, okay? And right here is the western wall, okay? So that's the picture that you saw. Now, this is a model of what it would have looked like in the days of Jesus. And so this is the western wall. And then here, this building here is the temple. And if you've studied the temple, then you know the front part here is what's called the holy place. And then back here is the holy of holies or the holy place. Well, the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. In fact, most of the walls were destroyed in 70 AD. Everything that was like above ground had been destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. And we saw the ruins while we were there. So the temple no longer stands there. In fact, now a mosque, uh, a Muslim mosque stands there because as the years went by, after centuries went by, and different countries would come in and invade Jerusalem, the last country that invaded Jerusalem was a Muslim country. And to this day, they still take control over that area of the temple courts. But the Jewish have access to the Western Wall. Why is the Western Wall so important? Well, if you notice here, the Western Wall is the closest place to the temple, to the entrance of the temple. And so for the Jewish people, this is as close as they can get to the temple of God, right there. And so they want to pray. They want to pray, and this is where they go to be near to God. When I prayed, I went there because I wanted to experience my God. I wanted to experience nearness to him. But you know what? Just praying and bowing down, that's good. That's okay, especially if I'm sincere. But, you know, that's not quite enough. We also got the privilege of going on a tour, which anybody can go on, and that is to go underneath the Western Wall. So we go back to this picture. There's the Western Wall right here. But um, right here, whoops. So right here is um, underneath the Western Wall. So up here above is the Western Wall. This is below the ground surface. Well, right here is the largest foundation stone that they have found. And, um, oops, the foundation stone is 45 feet long. It should be 12 feet high and 14 feet deep. 45 feet long, 12 feet high, 14 feet deep and 570 tons. 570 tons is two jumbo jets, fully loaded. That's how heavy it is. And over 2,000 years ago, these were placed there 
But when the Romans came in 70 AD, they could destroy everything that was above ground. They could work at it. They could get their shovels. They could get their hammers. They could destroy it, and they did their best to do it. But when they got to the foundation stone, they could not destroy that because it's too big. It's too strong. It's too heavy. It's too immovable. It's too permanent. And it is there to this day. Now that, to me, is an illustration of what it means to be rooted in Jesus. See, it's good to pray on the top. It's good to pray above ground. It's good to be able to come to church like we are today. This is like that. It's like all of us coming to church today. It's like going to the Western Wall and praying. If we're sincere, it's great. It's wonderful. For me to go to the Western Wall and bow down and pray, that's great if it's sincere. But it will only be real, and it will only have meaning if down inside if underneath the surface of my heart, if inside my heart, God is real to me, that Jesus is real to me. And this is what Paul is praying for. He's saying, I want you to know you can trust that that foundation is dependable. I want you to know that that root will never die. I want you to know that your love for Jesus is worth it and you can trust him. And as we go through life, that's where our trust comes from. Whatever trials we go through as a person, as a Christian, as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a child, whatever we go through as a worker, whatever we go through as a church, we can trust that Jesus is our foundation. And therefore, he will take care of us because he loves us. Now, thirdly, God would want us to know and to want and to need to understand this to have the understanding of the experience. It's one thing to have an experience. This is great. But God also wants us to understand this experience. And so Paul, in verse 18, he begins to explain to them how we can understand this love that God has for us. And so Paul prays, I pray, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. As we grow with our families, we begin to experience the depth of love. And the more love a child experiences with, his ch- with their parents, the more they begin to understand how worthy they are of that love. As we walk with God, our Heavenly Father, as we walk with Jesus, we begin to understand his love more and more. If we don't walk with Jesus, if we don't seek after him, then we won't experience his love. If we don't experience his love, we won't understand his love. But as we understand his love more and more, we want it, we seek it, and we even experience it more and more. And so again, we would want to put ourselves into the scripture. We would want to pray this for ourselves. So you know what to do, and we'll do it together. Let's say it. And may I, Curtis, have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May I, Curtis, experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. God wants me to understand the love of God. He wants me to experience the love of God. He wants me to know it deep in my heart, so I pray myself into these scriptures. I pray the scriptures as my own prayer. 
And notice that Paul says, I want you to understand it with all God's people. With all God's people. That's the best way to experience love, right? With other people. And that's what church is about. It's about growing in love with Jesus. And so the best way for, if you want your church to experience more love with Jesus, then you have to seek Jesus and experience more love with him. Because when you do, his love will reach out to other people. Paul says in the end of verse 19, may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Yes, it's greater than we can ever understand. It will never run out. But we can understand his love. We can experience his love deep in our heart. It's too great to fully understand, but we can still understand it. You know, I don't understand a lot about a lot of things, but I know enough to be able to like use a computer. I don't understand how it works. You know, I know enough to understand how to read the Bible. I don't understand all of it, but I understand enough to live my life. I don't understand everything about how to love people, but I know how to love them enough that I can continue. And so God helps us to continue to grow in love and understanding. Jesus says, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. How can we ever understand that? That Jesus loves you so much, he died in your place. Will we ever be able to fully understand that? And yet as we seek Jesus, we see him living for us. We see him dying for us. We see him resurrected and promising to us that when we follow him, this is our eternal destiny, to know him personally forever in heaven. But even now, even now, he wants to make us complete in his love. We can do this while we live on earth. We can continue to want and to need to be complete. We can continue to want to grow, to have fullness of life. Verse 19, the end, Paul prays, Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Then you will be made complete. Now, as you get older, this is something you think about more and more. You want to be fulfilled. You want to have fulfillment. Right now, you dream when you're young. When I do this, then I'll be fulfilled. But you'll get to that age that you're thinking about now, and you'll go, gee, I don't know if I'm still fulfilled yet. I need more. I want to be fulfilled even more. And I'm 61 years old. And, and I, I walked with Jesus since I was 16 years old. And I haven't, I've fallen away and I've come back. I've fallen away and I've come back. And Jesus has always held me. But even though I've gone through this for so much of my life, I know I'm still not complete. I know that there's still a great need for fullness. This is what I want. The older you get, the more you want it. Because you know that your time is shorter. And you want to have that fullness of life. Paul wants us to start earlier. The earlier you start, the better it'll be. The sooner you begin to desire the completeness of Jesus in your life as a teenager, the better it'll be when you hit your 20s. When you're in your 20s, the better it'll be when you're in your 40s. And it will continue that way. The sooner you begin to long for and seek out this fullness of life, the better it will be for the rest of your life. This is what Paul would have us to pray. So we again can pray the prayer and put ourselves in these scriptures. So let's say it together. Then I, Curtis, will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Just think about that. You will be made complete. You will. With all the fullness of life and power 
that comes from God. God works through us individually. He also works through us as a corporate entity, as a body. We see this in Ephesians 5.18. Paul talks to us, each and every believer, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's what every believer is called to do, to walk with God, to pray, God, please fill me with your spirit. But it doesn't stop there. It's not enough to just happen in my life. It has to be shared to be fully experienced. The church itself is the body of Jesus. And we become to one another the love of Jesus as we grow in that love. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22, Paul's talking about the church, and he says, the church, which is Jesus' body, is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so that as Jesus fills us, he also would have us to be part of the fullness of his church, that we would experience Jesus together. That's what makes a church united. That's what makes a church exciting. To be united not in ideas, to be united not in ideals of what one wants to have one's way, but to be united in Jesus to experience the fullness of his life in us individually and in us corporately. And what do we do? We do it by helping each other to be more mature. We help each other to grow. In Ephesians 4, verse 13, Paul prays, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God wants you to be more mature, to follow Jesus, to read his word, to know his fullness, to know his love. Jesus loves us more than you or I could ever understand. But he prayed that we would know that. Do you think that if Jesus were to pray for something, God would give it to him? Do you think that if Jesus were to ask his father to do something for you, that God the Father would do something for you. I do. I think that though I may pray and wonder if God will answer my prayers, I know God will answer Jesus' prayer. So let me tell you this, and let me tell myself this too. Jesus is praying for us. And this is what he's praying for. We see it in John chapter 17, verse 23. And Jesus says, I am in them and you in me. May they, his disciples, that's us, may they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Jesus is praying for you and for me that we would know that God loves us just like he loves Jesus. Maybe we can get our hands around that when we think God loves Jesus. I understand that. Of course God loves Jesus. That's his perfect son. But the Bible says to us, not only is that true, but Jesus prays that we would know that Jesus is in us and that because Jesus is in us and because God loves Jesus, that God loves us the same way he loves Jesus. That's mind-blowing, that God loves you the way he loves his son Jesus. And he wants you and me to experience that. 
It's a constant journey. It's something that we always have to work at in sense of walking in our faith, walking with Jesus, praying, worshiping, serving, growing, being part of the body of Christ. St. Patrick was a missionary from Britain to Ireland. And he became a great missionary, spreading the love of Jesus all around Ireland. And he wrote many prayers, but the one that stands out for many people is this one. And you have it there in your outline. And it says, Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right and Christ on my left. This is the awe-encompassing love of God. This is the all-fulfilling love of Jesus. He is with you. He is before you. He is behind you. He is in you. He is beneath you. He is above you. He is on our right. He is on our left. This is our great prayer to continue to experience the completeness of this fullness that we go through every day to experience. We're going to sing a song in closing, and the song is called Jesus, I Need You. And um, I think it's probably going to be a new song for you, but it's a perfect song, a perfect prayer. In it, we're going to be singing some of these words, Jesus, I need you. Every moment, I need you. And then we're going to sing, remember love, remember mercy. Christ before me, Christ behind me. Your loving kindness has never failed me. Christ before me, Christ behind me. Let this be a prayer of your heart to God. Let it be a time where you're saying, God, I want to be constantly renewed in you. I want to experience the love of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. And we thank you for your kindness. And we thank you for your goodness. And we pray, Father, that we would experience your love. We pray that we would truly experience the love of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our Lord and our Savior, who died on the cross for our sin, who rose again victorious, and who lives forevermore. In his name we pray. Amen.